Welcome back to Jokerman Podcast. I'm Evan. I'm Ian. And today we're joined by the brothers Streth, or the the long, uh, two long lost brothers. Uh, no, it's just the long Streth brothers. <laughs> Was that great? We're off to a great start. Off to uh, yeah. Uh, you, are you guys gonna oh, yeah. edit this or? Yeah, um, Absolutely this is not, not going awesome uh, so far. <laughs> I can just get out of the chat. It's it's all right. I'll we'll make it. We'll make it work in post. Um, yeah, we're joined by uh, David and Jake Longstreth, uh, professional uh, podcasters, painters, musicians, uh, teachers. I think right now. Also, David, have I seen you're like like hosting a, a class right now? Uh, I did a few months ago. Yeah, you did host the class. Yeah, with the School of Song. So you taught people how to write songs like Bob Dylan. Kind of. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You got any new Dylans in your in your class of students? There's only one Bob. There's only <laughs> one Bobby D. For better or for worse. Yeah. Right. There's not just like a child who's clearly his heir. Unfortunately, <laughs> there's not like the. Uh... Whatever it is in Dune, who's like the the next the chosen one? Right, he's gonna be just like doing talking blues. Yeah, like the kid in uh, um, that movie. I'm that not terrible here. movie. I'm not there. I'm not here. I'm yeah, still. Keep, I'm still here. Yeah, I'm we there. keep getting that confused. I'm everywhere. You guys are not fans of that film. We no. we have not been fans of that. Have, have you? Have either of you guys seen it? Oh yeah, and couple times. Couple times. Wow. So you're ahead. Um. I don't know if I'd say I'm ahead. <laughs> um, I mean, there were sections that were completely captivating. Yeah, but I mean, it is like a pretentious kind of incoherent mess. Right. Um, I haven't seen it, uh, since it since it came out. I saw it when it came out. And I remember thinking it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, this is what I think we, we gathered when we watched it, was that, like, everybody who says they really like it also only saw it when it came out. And I don't know that it, that it holds up so awesome. I don't know that it does. But uh, there are some good parts to it, uh, we'll say. I think we're, we're duty-bound as... Uh... Bob Dylan podcasters to just be like annoyed about the the simplest like pettiest bullshit that doesn't matter at all. Uh, you know that's doing your part. Exactly. We're exactly. We're just we're here to serve. Speaking uh, of which, I I'm famously um, somebody who on this program has talked uh, with less than a complete glowing praise for one of the best albums ever made. Uh, and that's blood on the tracks. And today we are doing a. Uh, we already did talk about more blood, more tracks, didn't we? I mean, we didn't do an official episode, but we have. You know, we have talked about a lot of the material that's on there. Are you sure we didn't? I have like I'm, memories of doing like a, a, a interminable episode. About I'm one hundred percent certain we didn't. This is a stress dream. <laughs> you guys are deep in. You guys are like two years in, so. It all blends together. Much like the, the fragments of memories that he sings about on this record. There you uh, go. You know, your pod is becoming a, a, a confusing slurry <laughs> of memories. Yeah, well, it's, our podcast is <laughs> actually you, based on the short stories of Anton Chekhov. And it really <laughs> has nothing right. to do with Bob Dylan. Yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah, we're here to fast forward all the way from 1974, which is where we last left off with Jake with Planet Waves, uh, up to 1975, uh, Blood on the Tracks. Uh, uh, just right off the bat, Jake, Blood on the Tracks or Planet Waves? One, waves. one, go, one gotta go. Waves, okay. Oh, no, one's gotta go or one's oh, well, gotta stay? Yeah, one, okay, which one gotta stay? Waves is staying. Waves is staying. Mm. I, agree with, I agree with that. Whoa. Yeah, I was, uh, so, full disclaimer, I figured that the sampler that you guys sent was just um for some reason I thought it was the sam the official sampler, the official more blood, more track sampler <laughs> that's on the streaming services. <laughs> Huge respect that it's not. You guys like curated a different selection. That's amazing. Um, but I've been listening to that, you know, to the one on on Spotify. And um 
Yeah, what's this? Oh, I think it's like the version of Simple Twist of Fate. Feels real waves to me. Oh, interesting. You know um, that 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 is it that guitar in the background, like the little effects. Yeah, but yeah, whatever it is, like flanger or something on there. Just the looseness yeah. of the performances. To me, actually, Jake, how did the years play out? Like Planet Waves always kind of reminds me of Zuma, the Neil record. Mm, mm-hmm. I feel that. Um, um, yeah, yeah similar. Like Planet Waves is seventy four. Zuma's like seventy three, maybe. I don't know. Something I think like that. Yeah, I think seventy four, seventy five, maybe on Zuma. Oh, but like even right okay. down to the even right down to the cover art, like Planet Waves and Zuma, oh, yeah, totally. absolutely in the same in yeah. the same and, headspace. And these improbably kind of just joyful records of like loose wonderful playing both kind of lesser records in the discography i didn't even know about planet waves for a long time whereas blood on the tracks is really kind of like i think one of the reasons like historically blood on the tracks uh also not one of my faves evan i'm i'm with you there wow um i think that it was like when i was a kid it's the it's sort of like one of the ones that people are like oh like you have to you have to listen to this one i think it was like i think it was just like too mature for me from his perspective Mm. but not necessarily like in a cool way it's Mm. like very midlife kind of an album and then the production is just so tasteful the performances are so sort of tasteful I'm with Jake in just preferring the the looser, a little more raggedy, a little more joyful feeling of Planet Waves. But I will say that this, you know, this the, these reissues, the, the sort of like extended box is giving us a lot of the work in progress. To, I, I like it more than the finished album. Totally. Yeah, that's a, a, a really interesting uh, parallel you made between uh, Zuma and uh, and Planet Waves. I just wanted to dwell on that for a moment because I was imagining if there was something on Planet Waves that was like as long as a what's the really long track on on Zuma? Um, Cortez. Yeah. If only like that would have been so great if on if on Planet Waves there was some kind of like just long extended jam piece. Uh, maybe that. It, maybe someday we'll get a Planet Waves. Uh, Bootleg, bootleg series, series that yeah. would be sick a 10 minute you angel you yeah um but i i kind of feel similarly uh to what you said david but i i hadn't put it together that some of the stuff on here actually you do see some of that connective tissue of like the the planet waves era and how it uh bleeds in you see what i have done there oh damn mm. that tracks that to tracks blood, to blood <laughs> on the track on the fuck <laughs> i see what you I, I i think that this uh this set or like these songs wh- whatever versions you know you, you end up listening to because uh, i'll be frank the ones that we put together versus the ones that are on spotify like they almost sound identical it's all like same takes that happen 15 minutes apart there's not there's not anything that you're missing out on if you're listening to one versus the other um, but how can uh, you but, say that? Yeah. How I was thinking the same thing. How can you say that? <laughs> how can you? How can you say that? Well, uh, what well, we should also just point out, like when you were saying, David, that the the thing we put together, the sampler, which uh, Ian he put together what he thought was like a mercifully short version of like a truncated thing. Like this is sort of the the cliff notes of the uh, more blood, more tracks experience. It's like what 12 songs mm-hmm. and the, and the, like actu- the actual one is like 83 songs and it is six hours long yes and uh so there's no way in hell ian that you could uh it isn't it is not the same experience to listen to this as it is to listen to that monstrous oh no, no no that yeah no that's certainly not the true i just meant like the the version that's on spotify versus the version that's on the, the that we put together which is one of each song basically. oh sure okay uh but yes listening to the whole six hour behemoth which i have done uh is a different is a different experience it's uh it's not something for the um uh not something for the 
Simple. For the ja- for the Jack of Hearts. Yeah. It's something for, for Jack of Hearts. No, it's it's for the. Uh, Jesus. You're coming. You're coming I, with the references, and I did. I'm trying life. really hard to come up with like a uh, rebuttal to that the references song. Um, it's not. For, uh, yeah, you have to be. Uh, no, I'm, I can't do it. Listening to the whole six hour thing is is known as going big gym. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you could say that the box set is like uh, the town's only diamond mine. Right. Anyways, uh, blood on the tracks. <laughs> more tracks, more uh, blood. More, more blood, blood, more, more tracks. tracks. I, so we have kind of already touched on like kind of the question that I wanted to ask uh, everyone to start with. Uh, mm-hmm. If there's if there's any sort of answers, that's great. If not, you know, that's also great. But like, you know, blood on the tracks. So. I'll preface this by saying Evan and I obviously have done our due diligence on the Bob discography at this point. We've, you know, we've, we've gone from front to back. We've heard most of the songs. Most um, of them. Yeah, most of them. And, you know, Blood on the Tracks obviously is like, it's the one that everyone has heard of, that everyone loves, that everyone says is the all-time great record, you know, that, that happens outside of the initial, you know, kind of 60s run and stuff. Um, and, like, I gotta say, like, listening back to it now and spending a little bit more time on it, you know, with the uh, insane uh, damage that I've done to my brain over the last couple of years, um, I don't have anything negative to say about Blood on the Tracks necessarily, but at the same time, I don't know that, like, I have a hard time seeing it in this different kind of, like, special aura compared to everything else in Bob's discography. Like, I, I don't... I don't see why this record has such an insane reputation compared to something like Planet Waves or Street Legal or Shot of Love uh, or even the later day records that have a little bit more cultural cachet to them. Um, I don't know. It's it's just uh, maybe I've lost my ability to find that special tone on this particular record. But it's um, well. You're happy, aren't you? You're like doing pretty well, and like you have a. Uh, <laughs> I guess you're you're engaged, good, and you're, you're living in San Francisco. You have a dog, and you just like walk your dog. Yeah, is this a pretty accurate <laughs> a, a description of your life? That's a good. That's a pretty accurate summation. Would you? I. I. I once you. Once you carry on this. this oh, you're not. You're not a depressed person in the 1970s <laughs> who is uh, reeling from like the uh, burnout of major stardom. Um, that's not quite where you're at. So not quite I d- where I'm at. I, and I do think, though, that you have a point, which is that perhaps this record is only at its most potent if you are feeling that way, um, if you were a, a superstar uh, who is uh, experiencing intense heartbreak in the 1970s. Mm. Well, also, don't you think it's like, that's when Bob kind of got, quote, serious again, and that... <clears throat> You know, the run from like Nashville skyline through Planet Waves was like, like we talked about this, I think, when I was on the last time about Planet Waves, like mm-hmm. that was like a deliberately sort of like unambitious period, which I love. You know, there's the weird Dylan album with all the covers, which I love. Right. Obviously, Planet Waves, very free, he's very freewheeling. Um, Wait, Jake, can, can I ask you a question about discography? Yeah. So the self-titled Dylan record from 70 with like all the all the yeah. pretty horses or whatever, all the tired horses. Yeah. Um, what's that? What's right after that? Like, what's the journey from that album to Planet Waves? Because I'm a little fuzzy on the early it, 70s. I got to admit. Pat, Pat Garrett. OK. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. he does that. Have you, do you know that covers record with like. Like, uh, all I have to do is dream, dream, Are dream. Are you talking about then... Dylan? The yeah. Yeah, well. I'm just trying to okay run. That, that, that that's that like one. unofficial, though. That's like some no, stuff on no, an iPod no, in no, 2003, you're, right? You're, well, you're for right. us. <laughs> that's how we know right. the material, Dave, is that, you know, back in the day when you have an iPod and your friend would lace it up with music and you had no idea what it was. <laughs> it I just says this, track one, track two. Yeah, I had like a weird collection of Dylan songs. It wasn't even tagged as like the Dylan album, but it was all that, all those covers, which I love. <laughs> that version of Ira Hayes, that's like so good. Dylan for me. Anyway, you, point- you probably had a good experience with Dylan and that material because you didn't have to look at the fucking album art. Was it that? <laughs> was it the self portrait? No, it's the weird photo. I don't know how you even describe it. Just it's like a of- weird processed, like gross tie dye Rasta colored photo. Look it up, like- Dave. Dylan cover. But I think that I'm getting confused yeah. between 
Um, wait, I gotta, I'm gotta. i going to look this up as we're talking here. It's got big yellow taxi on it. Well, it all comes from the same session. So the self, I think you're thinking self-portrait, Dave, <laughs> I am in thinking of self-portrait. You're exactly, exactly right. And then some yeah. of those same songs that were recorded during that time frame that didn't make self-portrait were put out in 73 by Columbia <laughs> after Bob went to Asylum as their way of like getting back to him, getting back at him. And it's got the ugliest cover and it's... It's widely regarded as, uh, you know, the weakest effort in the discography. Well, what it Dylan, is, it's literally called Dylan. Just Dylan, exactly. It, it's it comprises just it, what's made of is literally just warm ups from the studio that mm-hmm. Columbia had and scraped together with a a, a little uh, bench scraper at, and and put out onto it. All of this is to say that there was a period in the early seventies where he, you know. He, whether consciously or not, I don't know. He was in some sort of like retreat. He was, mm-hmm. he burned so bright in the 60s, as we all know. And then there was a period where he released a bunch of more low key, like unambitious records. And I feel like people saw Blood on the Tracks when it came out in 1975 as a return to form. Mm-hmm. They're super, it's very like the, the, like the instrumentation is very austere. As, as Dave said, it's very tasteful. Um, kind of milk toast, let's be honest. No, I think it's. I actually think they made the right calls with choosing the takes they did and the versions they did on the record. Mm-hmm. I think the out the all of the that's the, compelling. The outtakes were like their outtakes for a reason, but I'm just saying like the original question was like how why 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 this album and I just think it was like people saw it as a reset and they're they're, they're very ambitious, very dense serious ass songs right and like if you think about like planet waves yeah it's like you angel you and like, <laughs> yeah i mean it's like fun stuff but like planet i mean uh blood is like damn bob's back right. well, there, there's something yeah there's kind of this thing about blood on the tracks where um i mean it does earn this and it there's a reason why but it has this kind of aura of like uh propriety around it where it's like kind of like the sacred object that people don't want to um diminish at all but uh it is not there it's not like i don't know there are still things there are still cracks in it it's still it's not i i don't think it's his strongest work well i want to i just i I have a i have a hot take uh that i'll that that like as far as like why why is why does blood on the tracks hold the the place in the dylan canon that it does but i just want to before i do i just i want to just like Jake, just kind of compl- complicate this contrast you're drawing again with Planet Waves um, and Blood on the Tracks by like, that song Dirge is right. on Planet Waves, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. that song is fucking as serious as your life. And it also has some of the sort of like existential heartbreak that people associate with Blood on the Tracks. That's- but but on planet waves you got Robbie Robertson just like ripping yeah. a solo over the entire thing <laughs> which completely like like but, but I, in I a vaguely sh- flamenco style yeah like really reverby acoustic <laughs> solo yeah yeah well, i do see your point both of you though because especially um when we're talking about how on planet waves yeah it's less serious it's a little bit more um lighthearted and off the cuff but the lyric, I mean, it does have um, uh, both versions of Forever Young. And I think that's proven to be, you know, one of the most serious and meaningful songs. Absolutely. Yeah. And it does. It is interesting that there's those two versions where famously it seems he Dylan kind of pussyfooted around, like didn't want to totally commit to just putting out the heartfelt one because it seemed like maybe that's not where he was at and then clearly something shifted in him where by the time we have blood on the tracks that impulse that you see begin to be uh re-emerging in his work and in some way emerging for the first time really making a song like forever young something you never would have done in even the prime of his 60s period um you you start to see this mature artist emerge and i think blood on the tracks represents in many ways an extremely strong but also like maybe overshooting trying to shoot for uh i don't know it 
I, I feel like I'm hearing myself talk shit on blowing the tracks and it's uh, <laughs> a it's role you love a role you love ear. to play. No, but I, there's also lighthearted stuff on blood on the tracks, just like there's actually covertly serious stuff on planet waves. Like what is Lily Rosemary and the Jack of hearts? Like what is, um, what is that? Yeah. Buckets of rain <laughs> is like, is, well, yeah. What, what is that? Buckets of rain is like kind of sweet and, and mm-hmm. light in a way. Oh wait, so so my 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 hot take about Blood on the Tracks why maybe it holds that it holds that role mm. that we're all it sounds like kind of bucking against struggling with here. Yeah, yeah. struggling. <laughs> <laughs> to me it's like, you know, Dylan is always wearing a mask of one kind or another. And Blood on the Tracks is this strange moment where if you're not listening carefully, you might think there is no mask. It, it, it feels a little more direct. And really, the, only, the, the mask, I don't know. I was listening to this sampler, and I was like, the mask is really, it's the simplest that Dylan ever got. The mask is just the traditional sublimation of experience and emotion into fictionalized story, you know, storytelling. Um, there's nothing crazily ironic happening. Right. Um, and so it's just the, the emotion. Yeah. The emotion that he's in is kind of written into a, into a different form. And he lets us be a part of that. It's maybe a little more inviting in that way. It's not as cold. It's, but as far as like the sort of like coldness of Dylan, mm-hmm. I think part of the, maybe the part part of the problem that I have with it is that it's still there. It's sort of it's almost pretending that it's not. Yeah. And so I, I prefer it less to to ones that feel more. I don't well, know, honest in that way. So that's warm and generous. If we're, if we're talking about like you know the lead up to Blood on the Tracks as much as we are, then I think it's also worth thinking about what came after and what desire means in in the light of that, like where desire, it seems like kind of just like an overcorrection away from the, what seems to be actually like really pretty close to the bone earnestness of, of of this record. Um, And that I think is something that I detect in desire that makes me not like it very much uh, is that it seems like, okay, like you're just fiddling around now. You like you, it just feels like kind of a, a pleasant paperback that you read on the beach. It's wow. So not, you're, the beach is a Mozambique for instance. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like, uh, sort of like, uh, you know how, uh, don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> you know how the character of, never mind. Okay. Yeah, I won't do it. What? Super Mario in uh, the Super Mario Brothers. There's you know one one entry so in, in that series. There's one entry in that series where he it, he's on this island, the Isle Delfino, uh. and it's Super Mario Sunshine. It's sort of yeah. sort of a departure from the from the main uh, the, the the what you where you normally see Mario. Well, Desire is it Desire is a travelogue. That's Dude, what I'm Desire saying. Desire rules. Yeah, yeah, he's just having a fun on Desire. There's Desire nothing wrong with him hanging rules. and being. Loose. I mean, if we if we want to interpret it in a in a sort of like kind of literal way, and like I don't I don't know about the biography, but like you know, if he really is like going through something on butt on the tracks, you go through this big thing. The next year, you you just you're gonna travel the world. You're mellow, yeah. Yeah, get it out of you. Get it out of your system. You're gonna go, have a go romance to... in Durango. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I would like me. to be clear that Super Mario Sunshine is a fine game, and uh, Desire is a all right. It's I'm, a great record. Sorry, you yeah. you hit your <laughs> limit of Super Mario Sunshine talk. Um, but uh, but I just want I just want to say that um there are weirdly 
there are weirdly elements of that on blood on the tracks though too like the parrot that talks mm-hmm. right in in twist of fate and like people going down to the docks and oh she might live in yeah. Tangiers. I, I was gonna you know? say with i feel like the the lyrics on blood on the tracks are almost a return to the 60s a little bit there's a lot of surrealistic stuff on this record like mm-hmm. the lyrics on desire and planet waves like they're pretty realistic. They're pretty straightforward. You kind of always know where he's at. Mm-hmm. They're this, earthy. Yeah, I mean, does, a, well, uh, ISIS the, is confused. Uh, ISIS is confusing as hell. I guess desire but, desire feels like a travelogue, but it's anyway. Not to interrupt. But I'm Whatever. just saying, like blood. Blood is like like the one-eyed Undertaker. Like it's very like '60s. It's like what. Right. What the hell are you talking about the one eye? You didn't run into a one-eyed undertaker. <laughs> there's no way you ran into that guy. But like, there's, there's something about. Of... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, man. Well, I was just thinking that uh, another. You know, as long as we're just spitballing parallels, but like another oh. thing that about uh, Blood on the Tracks, it has something in common with John Wesley Harding in that way. I think there's this kind of biblical mm-hmm. slant, like yes. Shelter from the Storm. There's mm-hmm. kind of this thing, this this other mode that he's dipping into, which I don't know that he's done. I mean, it's it's a it just seems like a prominent example of that, where he's kind of leaning into this thing where he's using elements of his classic mid '60s surrealism, yeah. but imbuing them with like a bit more heft and actually kind of leaning into this thing that they represent like timeless archetypes about like which which feel biblical in a way, and it's something he keeps doing after this point and will never never stops doing really one Um, one note on that just in terms of like his his lyricism and his lyrical style that he's inhabiting at this moment in time um is he's he i I was doing some more research into this you know before in the lead up to this uh 74 bob uh really got deep into painting um, he spent a couple months with a guy named Norman Rabin. I don't I was, know if I was reading about this today as well. Okay, yeah. So I, I figured you'd have something to say here, Jake. So like, and and so what what he has said, uh, you know, at certain points in his long illustrious career since then, is that the work that he was doing with painting and just like understanding art, uh, you know, on a canvas, um, started to feed back into the way that he was writing lyrics at the time which blood on the tracks is really the first example of post kind of 74 painting experience for bob and you see that i think most clearly on something like um uh tangled where you're shifting between first and third person you're in the past you're in the present you're in the future wow uh, you're behind his eyes and her eyes at the same time within the same song um i don't know if you had any sort of uh stuff to throw on top of that jake but you're the uh you're the man to man to speak to it I mean, I was just reading a just reading Wikipedia page after Wikipedia page style <laughs> deep dive today while I was drinking coffee, and yeah, it was interesting. He talked about the lyric writing of this record relating to like being outside of time. Yeah, I think he became uh-huh. very obsessed with with time, and I don't know this. I don't know much about this guy, this Norman Rayburn character, but mm. um, he like and actually he got the phrase "idiot win" from this painting teacher normally oh, well who would it, use it, it in a derogatory it, sense to be like that's ah, an idiot win just like talking about like people being idiots like not like not directed at like individuals but just sort of like society you know just the masses a bunch sure. of idiots idiot sure. win but um yeah i mean like this like blood on the, i was thinking about it, like after i read him talking about how, like playing with time in these songs, I was like, okay, yeah, this is like the most like like tangled up in blue is like a pretty realistic song. Like there's no like one-eyed undertakers in Tangled Up in Blue. Right. But there's is, fishing like, boats outside Delacroix. It's like, sort of, but that's that's like Yeah, I'm saying that's, that's not it's, surrealistic. No, that's, it's not. It's it's yeah, the opposite. It's like exactly. using or the like, real world. You were working at a topless place. I stopped them for a beer. Very straightforward. Well, something um. we talked about on when we talked about the uh, we were talking about Planet Waves recently and in the liner notes episode and the liner notes have this uh, little thing in them where he says uh, like bar stools like stained with sweating pussy or something like that. Yikes. And um, I, my <laughs> response to reading that was that 
Bob is talking about the real world. <laughs> he wants to like be in a, you know, I mean, I was being kind of uh, silly, but also it's like, you know, he is kind of on that record, as we were just talking about, it is kind of this shift where he's like, I'm not going to be talking about the Mr. Tambourine man and like the windy beach and the haunted trees. Right. I'm going to talk about like people, places and things. And in his painting, Dylan is not very inclined to abstraction. He's really about portraying the world as he sees it or elements of it as he, uh, that he finds um, meaningful or imbued with some kind of significance. And I think your painting Hard is, is really similar <laughs> in a way because your painting, uh, I mean, if I, if the listener has not looked at the paintings of Jake Longstreth, I mean, if I could com. just, the yeah, the uh, uh, Nino Meyer Gallery. The uh, I would love where, to see Bob just paint like a Taco Bell. Well, that would he be... he does he does his version of that. But uh, Jake, yeah. something I find really interesting and compelling about your work is that you will do paintings which it's they they will feature the parking lot of a Toys R Us or a Taco Bell, but they also on the, in the same show of paintings there will be ones that are just pure landscape and you get this sensation that the the ones of these man-made structures that have all of this baggage they just kind of um they're treated with the same level of observational uh pers- like the same perspective whatever that may be as the natural world and um that uh that's just something i wanted to touch on in your work and i think that there's maybe some parallels there with what dylan does with like using these stills from movies that he he finds interesting because he's done a ton of that and i think he looks at certain stills from movies and just looks at them as like images of people and places um intersecting with like the natural world uh he seems to be thinking on some level that might have something in common with what you do yeah, I mean, I haven't I haven't taken like that close a look at his work. What I've seen, I I haven't liked in terms of the recent work. It's not as good as yours. Uh, <laughs> agreed. Um, it's just not <laughs> nowhere near. But um, yeah, no, I mean, what you're saying, I mean, yeah, I definitely like will like uh, paint the uh, a landscape with trees with the same sense of uh, attitude. Uh, in attention to kind of light and atmosphere that I will like a Taco Bell, a cheesecake factory, you know, to me, it's like all, they're all like fragments in a continuous landscape. Right. And you don't, you don't grant one thing uh, greater significance than the other. Right. Yeah. And, and, the and way I, that, Oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say entangled up in blue, just right. to yeah. cycle, <laughs> cycle back. I mean, he, uh, he's just like grabbing these snapshots of these memories. And I think, um, maybe that related to this painting feature, Norman, you know, who like, he, well, I, it almost reminds me of like, I don't I know you guys are fans of uh, Nosgard, but like, yeah. hell yeah. I mean, I just like, he, like every verse of Tangled is like this little, like super vivid vignette. Right. Um, of this guy's life, you know, and he's just like, thinking sitting there like thinking back on his life he's tangled up in blue he's sad i mean what that's such a cool way to be like at the end of every refrain just be like i'm sad right i'm tangled up in blue (laughs) and i'm thinking of these like random episodes of my life and i'm thinking about other people like some are carpenters wives some are mathematicians what are they doing with their lives i mean like I, i love how he just sort of like at the end of that song kind of zooms out and he's just sort of like Damn, dude, life's trippy. Like, it's very like <laughs> he does it in a very like, uh, yeah, like I said, vivid way. But it is like the vibe of that song is just like, man, life's weird. It passed me by. It passed other people by. And like, damn. damn I wonder dude. how. I wonder how like self consciously uh, a boomer anthem. You know, it's sort of like it was when he wrote that. I want like that process for him. I think this is part of why I didn't like this album as a kid too. Like specifically the vibe of that verse. Mm. 
which now I completely love and relate to, you know, like this, th there are these moments in, in, in our, in our twenties or whatever, when there's just some sort of gravity or a larger force that we don't really think too much about that draws, draws, draws you together with a group of people. Um, and there, there's a, there's a wave that you ride and then it, you know, then the sort the wave sort of breaks on the shore and everybody goes out and leaves these mm -hmm. very individual lives. It's a really beautiful, like, and, and poignant way that he puts it, like, you know, some are mathematicians, some are carpenters' wives. Um, you know, I don't know what they're doing with their life. It It's such an amazing line. And, like, I think that, yeah, like, as a teenager and, and, and younger and older than that, I was just sort of like, fuck that. <laughs> you know? Corny it, shit. Yeah, it really does feel like a portrait of... I mean, our parents were like Bob, big Bob Dylan fans, and I don't know. You like to you like to think about the '60s more than you like to think about this broken, strange moment I mean, of the mid '70s. The last record they own is Nashville Skyline. Yeah, <laughs> like that's I don't the think, most recent record they've purchased. Yes, I don't think. <laughs> well, no, Jake. We I don't actually think... we we looked this up. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. But they yeah they stop at about nineteen yeah sixty nine in terms of record you know. Oh, you're just talking about Bob records? I'm talking but about Bob. They have Fleetwood Mac's rumors. Well, someone gave that to, to like our dad as like a birthday present. <laughs> as a birthday <laughs> present. We we figured that out. Yes. We've... His 30th birthday, 1977. Yeah, gave... somebody gave him a record. They're like, oh, shit, we haven't gotten a new record in about seven years. Sandy That's Rossier so uh, bought a copy of Rumors. No. Shout out to Sandy. Uh, our, you know, yeah, our, like the last record they own of Bob's is Nashville. I don't think my dad, like our dad, has even heard Blood. He's heard so, Tangled. He's heard I, Shelter. I bet he's got it on one of his playlists in the car or whatever now. Yeah, that's a good call. That's so interesting. How, how old is your, your guy's dad? Seven. He's born in 47. So 74? Okay, so he's he, he's a little older than my dad. My dad's like 61, too, something like that. It just, oh, he's way older. Yeah, yeah, I guess. What is that, a decade? Um, because it, uh, like people my dad's age, I guess he was born in like 60. Um, uh, like I feel like blood is like the, like mm -hmm. the one and, and, and maybe it's just based on my own personal relationship with him. Cause blood is really the one for him specifically. Mm. Um, but, um, that's interesting that, that it wouldn't, I guess, I guess maybe it really is something to do with that, like 10 year, 12 year gap, something like that. Oh, for sure. That's interesting. Jake, I want to pick up on 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 the Nausgaard idea, which well, I love. I, I wanted to, I was, the whole time we weren't, I wasn't talking, I was trying to desperately to search for what he had to say about Dylan. Oh, and I you have posted, it right here. You, okay, because, yeah. well, well, Dave, okay, uh, Evan, hold that for a sec. Sure, and then, please. And then. Well, I just want to, yeah, like, I think of, like, kind of, like, the Red House Painters guy and, like, recent <laughs> Phil Elvrum. <laughs> As a, as a genre that in my head I call Nausgaard wave. Well, it's Phil's um, music for that's sure. That's beautiful. I love that. And uh, and I and I love Nausgaard wave. And I've sort of like flirted with it as a songwriter at, at various points. Although not you know yeah not as vividly as I would like to. And I th I'm, that's still something I'm exploring. But anyway, <laughs> I love this idea. Be continued. <laughs> I love this idea of Tangled Up in Blue as the first Nausgaard wave record. Um. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, but Jake, I have a question for you, which is yeah. that you're, you're not under the impression that this is actually, this is Dylan. These are Dylan's memories. No, no. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Not well, untangled. Some of it might be, but I mean, no. I, I feel like if you see her say hello, might be, which might be my favorite song on this on that record. But hold on, I want to just we can put pause on that, and then I want to hear the Nosgard, uh passage on Dylan. Yeah, oh, Nosgard wrote see. about Dylan. Yeah, uh, let's see what he Carl, visited. Carlova uh, says he visited uh, Duluth uh, and wrote about it for the New York Times. Uh, yeah, P uh, let's see. Peter went to see Bob Dylan's childhood home, so we drove there first. Um, I have to do my. Uh, I don't know what Carlova sounds like. Uh, it was just a few blocks away, up a steep hill behind the hotel. It looked exactly like all the other houses in the neighborhood. A small wooden duplex with a grassy patch in front. There was no sign indicating that Bob Dylan grew up here, nor was there a statue of him. That seemed appropriate, 
for in contrast to the other 1960s artists who were still alive, there is nothing about Bob Dylan to remind one of a statue. Nothing about his music or his role had become rigid or clearly defined. No final form enclosed him. In fact, it was as if he were, weren't a really a person at all, but had somehow dissolved into his music. His old songs were constantly in motion, and the new songs emerged from the same stream. As he traveled around, permanently on tour, you could tell what came from him and what belonged to the American song tradition. He was just, uh, you couldn't tell, rather. You couldn't tell what came from him and what belonged to the American song tradition. He was just playing the music. On the basement tapes, you can hear how he discovers this mode for the first time, how he begins to live in the music as he keeps tossing out one tune after the other, song after song, some of it fantastic, some of it junk, some of it interesting, some of it nonsense, and it doesn't matter in the slightest. For the whole point is the lightness, that all demands for perfection and completion, for flawlessness, have been suspended. I mean, but, uh, the goat. I mean, Nosgard is the goat, dude. I mean... The money, the money I'll, line, just to I'll, throw okay, it in there. I'll, I'll get to that here. It says... This is the real the real thing here. Honestly, what he says here is one of the most incisive things I've ever read about Bob Dylan. He says, Bob Dylan is the master of the selfless self, the king of the not ones one, a deeply paradoxical figure who lived and breathed the music of this deeply paradoxical country. Right, which he which he uses as his capstone after saying all writers artists and musicians know the feeling when you disappear into what you're doing lose yourself in it and are no longer aware that you exist while at the same time the feeling of existing is profound and total and what makes you what you make is never better work created in this state shouldn't shouldn't be published in the artist's name because it has been created precisely by the artist's non-personal non-individual selfless side okay so we just read that backwards but the point of this (laughs) is that uh you might as well read that backwards because uh He's talking about, I think, what we've, what we're all trying to get at, which is this, this idea that Dylan uses memories that might be his, are, are maybe not his, but are certainly memories that could be had, and that is enough to like justify what, putting them on a record. Um, I think he even stretches that to the point of using language that might not ever really be used has been used in someone's imagination and i think that's all it's all fair game everything that could or couldn't happen everything that could happen rather is like all fair game and on these records especially on blood the tracks it seems like he's trying to actually start to narrow the focus to bring that sense of possibility to his work while still making things um while making things feel more tangible, a little bit more connected to the world we recognize. I love that. <laughs> yeah, the Nauscard the Nauscard makes me think that like um or what he what 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 you guys just read does make me think back to this idea of like playing with time on this record. And maybe part of like what's what's unique about this record in Dylan's discography and also maybe part of the reason that like people love it so much is this this like these shards of memory and this playing with time really does feel so interior it feel yeah. it really feels like our own our own stream of consciousness is and that's like kind of unique to this record yeah for some reason my mind drifts yeah. to like taylor swift huh. at that point <laughs> Tell me more. Okay. <laughs> but I don't <laughs> but I don't know. But I don't I don't know if like other other like who 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 else does writing like that actually? Well, I Wait. mean he does famously he's demurred about like this record being autobiographical by saying that it's based on Chekhov. And Chekhov himself, it's crazy to imagine one man writing all those things about yeah. all those characters. Who have all, whose interior lives are like so vivid um it'd be like a room of people who are each and suffering in their own way that's really so, specific yeah so much empathy and and imagination for empathy of the interior yeah. lives yeah totally 
Um, did you guys read the the Saunders book, uh, Swim in the Pond in the Rain? Mm-mm. Jake, did you read that? No, Hannah did. Oh, that's right. She loved it. It's so good. Is, is that about Chekhov? Uh, Him analyzing? He, 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 he uses like the the Russian, the like basically like short, Jesus, I like to talk. I like to talk. <laughs> uh, he uses, I think, six different short stories all by Russian authors to to sort of like, you know, talk about, you know, how he writes and how he reads and how the processes of reading and writing are sort of related and entwined for him, editing and things like that. But he, you know, yeah, Chekhov is like, Chekhov is the goat. And Chekhov come in that, in the book, I think that, you know, Saunders just sort of like, maybe has a special fondness for, for Chekhov and like his, and his, um, his empathy, his, his like, imaginative empathy. So I can see that. I can see what Bob's saying about that. I think part of that also is him really trying to deflect, you know, uh, the sure. prying the prying eyes. Because I do yeah. think that at a certain point he realized, like, oh shit, I was maybe a little too naked on this record, much more so than I like to be. And so he kind of backfilled. Not to say that he wasn't obviously influenced by Chekhov to some extent, whether consciously or, or unconsciously at the time. But, uh, you know, uh, there's there's plenty of old Bob himself on this record, even if he, uh, you know, never uh, went down to Delacroix on a fishing boat necessarily. I feel like it's germane to point out, I have right here, Karlova Knausgaard, Inadvertent, which is his little treatise on writing. And he says... I don't know about that. Yeah, it's I've never a, seen it's that a little book. slim volume where he's talking about writing and why he does it and how. Wow. And he says at the very end... Um, he says, I was a novelist. I wrote novels. And if I use something from my own life, it had to be camouflaged, a part of the fiction. To renounce this was not among the possibilities open to me as a writer, for then it would no longer be literature. Mm. Wow. Yeah, he really has a connection to Bob. Yeah, it seems that's, like he really does. That's wild. Um, that's something like Bob probably thinks but would never say. Right is the impression I get. Maybe. How, how so? How do you mean? Just to phrase that, it in terms of like it wouldn't that, be literature. That I think Dylan recognizes that it has to be funneled. Through. Like he ha he is instrumental as like the conduit for these for what if, if he's talking about his experiences personally, which have to be involved in some way, or mixing in other you know fiction, just what he thinks other people experience. I think he's admitting here uh, uh, in, the, in that quote, Carl uh, Ova is saying that this is, you can't, it, it's inextricable. You're always going to be in there. And yeah, I think Bob would never say that, but it's so clearly true. Um, he probably, you know, that's why he's like, no, it's Chekhov, it's based on Chekhov. It's like, yeah, but it's coming through you and you can't help but leave your residue all over it. They're also, for what it's worth, after very different things, just to be... Bob's residue. <laughs> when you said sorry, that, I, I was like... Sorry to use that term. He's sitting on the bar stool. Yeah, on the bar stool. <laughs> His, your, your snail trail's all over this, Bob. Uh, um, they're after Bob and, and Knausgaard are after very different things, which obviously should be apparent just on its face. But in the way that uh, Karlov is like trying to take these intensely personal, subjective experiences and like explain them explicitly for a wider audience, Bob, I think, is trying to do the very opposite and, and like taking this communal kind of legacy um, of folk music, really, and not just like folk music is in what you expect, you know, a folk music record to sound like, but, you know, music of people, music of the folk, um, and filter it through his own individual kind of, you know, weird, uh, re refracted personality. I see why Kanazgar would have an appreciation for Bob, the same way that Bob has an appreciation, like we were talking about in the last episode with Molly, Evan, uh, the same way that Bob has an appreciation for... Um, Paul McCartney, because it's something that they can't, like he himself cannot do, is amazed by, but, mm. um, you know, is, is uh, just feels as alien to him as like dunking a basketball, basically. 
Uh, you're assuming that Carl Ova cannot play basketball? Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> something By the power of, of inference. That will do it for part one of this two-part, two-brother, Blood on the Tracks extravaganza. Only on Jokerman Podcast. Stick with us next time. We're about to go full idiot mode, folks. Early one morning, the sun was shining, and he was laying in bed. Wondering if she changed at all, if her hair was still red. Her folks, they said their lives together sure was gonna be rough. They never did like mama's homemade dress, papa's bank book wasn't big enough. And he was standing on the side of the road, rain falling on his shoes. Heading out for the old East Coast, Lord knows he's paid some dues. Getting through, tangled up in blue. She was married when they first met soon to be divorced he helped her out of a jam i guess but he used a little too much force and they drove that car as far as he could abandoned it out west and they split up on a dark sad night both agree and it was best and she turned around to look at him as he was walking away and she said this ain't the end we'll meet again someday